And you guys can't hear that, right? I'm I'm reviewing a YouTube movie on my end. Can't hear it. Nope. Okay. Nope. Excellent. Yeah, this intro is eternal. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's three AM eternal. Do you remember that song? Oh man, <laughs> I totally gave it away. <laughs> Rev, I can't believe you guessed the song. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Oh, that's wow! So great. That well, that so ruins great. the whole thing. Now you have to start over. See, it's it's perfect because I could see the title, and I was, and I, I think I was influenced subliminally to use that word, and then that got wrapped there. Well, wow, that was awesome, man. That was a well. I will admit that, that the KLF, the band who wrote that song, came up yesterday between Jen and I. Come on. <laughs> In okay. in the context of my project, so <laughs> well, see, okay, great. Let's let's get down to it, man, because I can't wait to see us arrive at one of these days. Okay. We're going to do the exact same project, all three of us, <laughs> like no matter how improbable. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's hilarious. Okay. Uh, all right, cool. So I'll uh, I'll kick us off. Um, here we go. Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Ranjit Patnagar is our guest this week. Greetings, Ranjit. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. we are super psyched to have you on. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun. Uh, I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles and also do the Exoskeletal Newsletter. And I'm an experienced director at an interactive agency here in L.A. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, an educator, and do-it-yourself engineer, a noted tall person based in Chicago, and I'm a he-his kind of guy. I'm Ranjit Bhatnagar. I'm an artist and general nerd based in Brooklyn, <laughs> and my pronouns are he and him. Um, Ranjit, I'm, I'm particularly excited that you're on the podcast because you do many amazing things, <laughs> um, and a lot of them. Or at least it feels like a lot to me, and and a lot in a good way, not a lot in like a bad way. I feel a little bit guilty because I'm going to ask you about a project that probably many people ask you about, <laughs> which is Instrument a Day. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And it's February, right? Is it? Is that the right month? Yeah, every February I try to spend the month making one new musical instrument every day of the month. Awesome. Yeah, epic. And yeah. I've done it for 10 years now. That was one of my questions. Wow. Okay. I, Cause I, yeah. I remember it's, I, as long as I've known you and then I assumed before that you've been doing it and, um, it's a super great project. Um, it's they're 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 on Twitter or are they also, they live in video form, right? Like, yeah, they're all documented in short videos and that's pretty much the only thing I use my Flickr account for anymore. Oh, that and vegetables. And oh, and my personal homepage, which in theory is supposed to document everything I do, but really I only get around to putting those once a year videos up there. I know, it's so much work, <laughs> good, man. Yeah. 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 But it's been 10 years, so I'm thinking maybe this means I don't have to do it again next year. Oh. But if nice. I don't do it, yeah. if I don't do it again next year, I have to think of something else to do, which is even scarier than doing the thing for the 11th yeah. year. Yeah. Do you uh-huh. do you want do you want to be free? Do you feel like does it feel like a chore now when you have to when February rolls around? It kind of does, but it kind of did the first year too. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's also a lot of fun. 
I don't really know anybody that does, because I would classify that broadly as that kind of endurance art. I don't really know anyone who does that work that really likes doing it, but they they feel really compelled to do it, it seems like. Does, it, yeah. does that describe your perspective on that, that way yeah, of working? It's hard to say because I really do enjoy it and I learn a ton, but it is a chore. <laughs> There's no way to disguise it. Yeah. Yeah, because, Rob, you and I were having this conversation with your partner, Jen, right, where Jen thinks that parenting is a blast, like it's the funnest thing ever. And like with so, like with so many things, I just, I'm amazed by her perspective, and I'm not, I'm not physically capable of, of matching her, um, her, her amazing, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of her visual work is also connected to doing something every day or doing something mm-hmm. on a kind of certain frequency or pacing. Um she did a really great project, which is this one was is really epic. Um, but it's it's so great. It's um, she took the front page of the newspaper in whatever town she was in. Mm-hmm. The project I think is called Daily News. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, and then she would make a poem from the front page of the paper every single day. Oh, it's like so uh, collect- the Japanese painter. Who am I thinking of? The guy with the dates. Oh, I don't know. Oh, we'll have to, we'll put that in the show notes. It was the dude who every single day he would just paint the date completely graphic, no extra zhuzh. And uh, the only difference would be like if he was in Spain on that particular day, he might have dots between the numbers as opposed to slashes or whatever. Oh, cool. Uh, and he did that like his whole life and it just seemed, it just was like soul crushing to me. But but yeah. continue describing Jen's project, which sounds like it has a lot more room for uh, for life for life inside it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, she she has a sort of technique that she uses, and I don't know if it's one that she developed. But I've only ever seen her do it, where she will take scissors and she'll cut her way through the words, so mm-hmm. the words are sort of connected in this spidering fashion. Like she'll mm-hmm. select the words that she likes, and through using scissors, like redacts out essentially all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um. So you get the, and including the headline. So some headlines, like the year she did it was the year I think Os, Os, Saddam Hussein was killed mm-hmm. or some, something something epic <laughs> happened. And it was, um, you know, so like the front page of the paper that day is going to be like killed, killed, murder, 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 killed, killed, terrorism, you know, like... <laughs> And so, like the her poems take this are sort of shaped by the day, but also you know through her own lens, and so it's really pretty pretty rad. But um, mm-hmm. she also did other projects with other people. Like there was this project she does that I forget when it is. It happens during the summer, I think, where she would wake up at three a. I think it was three a.m. Three a.m. and then three yeah and then three a.m. Yes, that that time, uh, and then write, uh, what, like write a poem and or tr- I think it's a poem, and then fall back asleep, mm. and then I think it's for a month or something. It's a really long time. But, um, Renji, what what was it? Was it that style of thing that made you think like I'm going to make an instrument a day? Like, were you or did you just kind of decide like, oh, I made one yesterday, I made one today, maybe I should just keep going, or like how how did you get there? There was actually this project back then. I guess 10 years ago, where a couple of, I think they were NYU grad students had made a website they called Thing a Day. And the 
The idea of Thing A Day was that you would sign up on their website and commit to doing one creative thing every day in February. Mm-hmm. And that's I a think, great idea. I think they had been doing that for one year before that. And so I thought, hey, that's a neat idea. What am I going to do? I want to join in too. And yeah. then on January 31st or something like that, I took a workshop on how to make whistles. And then that oh. plus starting on February 1st, I thought maybe I'll make an instrument every day. And then I did every day for that's 10 awesome. every February for 10 years. So that's 280 instruments. Yeah. Plus leap years. Yeah. Plus leap years. <laughs> Approximately wow. 282. Wow. That's and, good. And do you keep all these instruments? Do you have like a warehouse in Brooklyn for the uh, <laughs> storage of these things? No, I keep only a small fraction of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just ephemeral in the first place, like mm-hmm. xylophone made of ice, or some of them are just too crappy yeah. to use. I mean, too crappy to keep. Some of them, their parts get reused for something else. Some of them are entirely virtual. They might just be software. I love but, that lack of preciousness, man. I mean, it makes it hard to have a sort of conventional creative practice where you go exhibit a thing and then get credit for having done it. But I just, I, I'm so attracted to that notion where you know, time's a waste and, and it's all about the making of the thing, you know, because if you're making them that fast, I would imagine you don't spend a lot of time playing them, right? Uh, th- that's right. Yeah. I'll, the, the less promising ones, they get played once for a demo video and that's it. Right. But of course there are some that I like so much that I've kept them for years and I play them, play them in front of audiences and yes, make yeah. more like them and so forth. Awesome. But that thing about not having objects at the end, a couple of years ago, I applied for a residency at the Museum of Arts and Design. And in this residency, they, they get artists and craftspeople to work two days a week out of the museum making, making whatever it is they make. And so they, I guess they liked my application, so they brought me in for an interview. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, show me some of the things that you've made. And I didn't have anything. <laughs> Uh-oh. And they're all, you do, you do understand we're a museum of arts and crafts and we'd like right. to see some objects. I didn't have any objects, so I didn't get the residency. Oh. That's, that's such a drag, man. You, you know, I got, I got contacted by, it was the weirdest thing. I think it was like a Swedish PhD student who wanted to talk to me about this class I'd done at the Art Institute in Chicago on 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And then she showed up and it was clear that she had the thesis sort of in mind, which was that... 3D printing was going to be so transformative for the museum in this really positive way. And I was saying, no, no, I think it's going to destroy the museum, but it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And then she just kind of said like, okay. And then I, I I think I was not, I was not fitting neatly into that thesis. Um, I hope I didn't waste your time. Rajit, has anyone ever done it with you? Uh, Yeah. In fact, this past February, I had two or three people who joined in, and I have to say, I don't think any of them actually made it the full 28 days. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was thinking maybe maybe it could become like less onerous for you somehow. But uh-huh. like, like someone could carry the torch and then you could be like, okay, they're carrying the torch, I'm done. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. Like, like, you could, like it could be a thing that flies away from you as opposed to just kind of landing with a thud. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, we'll have to think about that. That's, huh. What, so what, what have you been up to lately? Uh, I had a crazy busy summer, Good, which was fun, but it's all the kind of thing where you get this opportunity to do some great art project and you travel and you don't make any money and then you come home and you haven't paid your rent. 
Yep. But yeah, in the spring, I went to Denmark with a bunch of friends and did an installation at a former slaughterhouse out in the boonies of Denmark as as part of a big theater festival there. That's cool, man. We'll make money when we're dead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, this was fun. Met up with like six different artists, some of whom I knew from previous projects and some were totally new to me. And we made this big, crazy musical architectural installation thing in this creepy, creepy slaughterhouse. Yeah. The slaughterhouse had only been retired just a couple years earlier and given over to an arts organization. And it's this huge space with hundreds of thousands of square feet and the arts organization was just slowly colonizing little bits of it. Wow. But there was these endless echoing hallways and creepy rooms all over the place, totally full of pig ghosts. Now, you know, oh. Rob got his start working in the slaughterhouse business. Really? I did. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was, I was, I started as a temp. <laughs> so, and I kind of just worked my way into becoming a full-time employee at a, steak meat cutting place in chicago wow yeah but 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 wasn't your wasn't your wasn't your big success um finding the hole in the algorithm as to why you were you were did we talk about this previously as to why stock was being lost in the um accounting portion of the algorithm yeah so like uh i was working on building out their inventory system it was the first kind of software project i ever really truly dug into and I was like totally on my own. And I kept having these problems that I thought with the scale because, you know, the raw material in and then the material out was, wasn't syncing up at the end of the day. And, uh, it was, you know, what we figured out is it was, it was just a few percentage points, percentage points. I never know if I'm using that phrase correctly, I think just so. a few percent. And, uh, it was, it was the blood that's, Pours out on the floor. (laughs) So that's profits going down the drain. That's right. That's right. It kind of is. Yeah. That's kind of how they saw it too. Wow. (laughs) And then yada, 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 we get pink slime. That's that's where we are. (laughs) They ended up doing experiments with that blood um, with this company that, um, so very tiny pieces of meat are typically turned into, are typically frozen and used in things like beef stew. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's like fancy meat, you know, like fillet cuts, but mm-hmm. they're just happened to be like one ounce or half ounce instead of like four ounce. And they, f- they worked to this company who would autoclave the blood and they would, it would, the white platelets would come out and they would use that as a glue to adhere the pieces back together. Whoa. And so, it, and so, it oh would, yeah. So they could make zombie steaks. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Wow. And so it's. It's good meat. It's just the marbling is out of whack. Like it doesn't look right because it's like, you know, marbling, steak marbling kind of yeah. looks like it's called marbling for a reason. It looks like marble and this just looks like, I don't know, busted concrete or something. You know, it just looked weird. So but it, it would they autoclave it or would they spin it? Did spin they, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Autoclave. T- yeah, that's right. Yeah. They didn't heat it. Yeah. They just spun it. I, I would apologize for nerding on you with that topic, but in this crowd, I know I don't have to apologize. Absolutely. <laughs> In the 19th century, I think there was a technology for making plastic out of blood. Yeah. I remember. Oh, dude. I've been meaning to look this up again because I heard about it years ago and I want to figure out how it worked, but they would make like doorknobs and knobs for cabinets and stuff like that out of polymerized blood. 
That's awesome. Yeah. I bet it looked great. I wonder how, yeah, I wonder how they kept it from like decaying or something weird temperature. Uh, oh yeah. That's a, that's a keeper. That's a good one. <laughs> so Ranjit, I've also got a question for you. Are, do we know each other? Is our Kevin Bacon separation via Walter Katundu? Is he a, a friend of yours? He is. Yeah. I met uh, him at the Exploratorium when he was working there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Walter was working at Columbia college, uh, where I teach, um, working on this great, uh, it was like a memorial, I think, for this dude in Texas, maybe. And it was a big wooden piece that sat down astride a stream. And then um, it would run these bellows and make this mournful sound. But at some point, I was telling him about the podcast when we were starting out. And then he was talking to me a couple of weeks later. And he said, oh, I, I listened to an episode. And then I was talking to a friend of mine who said he was also listening to an episode. And, and I thought, we're the only two people that listen to this thing. <laughs> and I, and I think it was it was you and Walter. Um, yeah, we had chatted about it on Facebook, I think. Yeah, that's funny. Um, so yeah, we, we'll have to get him on at some point too. But so you guys met up at the Exploratorium. You said what was the? Uh, were you also participating there, or, or just um, met him in some other in some other way? Oh yeah, he was working at the Learning Studio, mm-hmm. and Karen Wilkinson, who's one of the people who runs the Learning Studio, had invited me out because she had seen. I think probably because of the Instrument Today project. She had seen it online and invited me to visit the learning studio. Mm-hmm. And I did a, a short little workshop there, and I came back and visited a couple more times after that. Nice. That's oh. cool. Walter's, I follow Walter. I, I, I've never met him in person, but I follow him on Instagram, mm-hmm. and his work is, whoo. Yeah, it's amazing. amazing. the bomb, man. <laughs> every time just, I saw him, I'd be like, the... every day. I feel like every day, it's just like, oh my God, what's that? Like, it's amazing. Yeah, Ranjit, you helped him out with some Arduino stuff, right? For that rocking chair piece he was doing? Yeah. What What was the story with those? Because he was talking about uh, switches where the um, actuator doesn't actually need to be powered. And I, I hadn't worked with those before. Is that like, is it like a little uh, piezoelectric uh, generated radio pulse or something? Is that what it was? That's my understanding. I don't really uh, know much about how they work either. Yeah. Sounds cool, though. Yeah, it does. That does sound cool. I'm really excited to find out how all of our work relates to. Um, it's three a.m. It's yeah, three a. E.A.M. Oh, Walter's Walter's website we'll link to in show notes. Oh yeah, for sure. I I should also mention that I um I went out for a burger with him, uh when we were getting ready to do the whiteness episode because uh, our original guest couldn't make it, and I was going to see if he could, and he said. He was like, no, I, I think you guys should handle this yourself. And he was saying, well, I had this idea that I think would be really good, but I, I just think you guys should take it. <laughs> he was very nice about it. But it, I, I think Rob and I were navigating that thing where we were trying to get sort of permission to talk about this topic. And he was he was great in terms of saying like, oh, here's some things I'd think about, but also stop asking a person of color for permission, which was, it was really nice of him to... Um, be both the, the firm hand, it, what is it, like the, the, the fist in the velvet glove? <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, I believe you're up yeah. first today. Am I correct? Yeah, I've got a zip file for y'all. Excellent. I am unzipped. I see seven photos. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the first one is 
presumably your hands with some dollar bills and a paper cutter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't even see the paper cutter there. All right. Like, it's one of those guillotine paper cutters. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then you're rolling up the bills and the paper around. It looks like a metal rod of some kind. Also, then chopping up a credit card. Mm-hmm. Yep. Into a dangerously pointy looking shape. Ooh. And you made an arrow that's made out of a credit card and rolled up money, rolled up bills. And it's fletched with more triangles of credit card. You even use the little rounded corners of the credit card to make these beautifully rounded yeah. feathers on the back of your arrow. It's the, it's the part I'm most excited about. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> the, uh, also, I was appreciating that you remembered to... Um, uh, uh, hide your um, the the CC. What what's it called on the back? That little number. Oh, CCV. I believe so. Yeah. So when this goes yeah. out into um, uh, the public, hopefully that's a completely canceled credit card. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so so a pretty straightforward uh, one there, right? So arrow in the heart of yeah. capitalism. Has it been fired, or do you plan to fire it? Ah, it has not yet been fired. I'm holding it right now. Mm-hmm. Are you going to fire it right now live for us? Oh, yes. man. <laughs> um, what would you fire it into? A bale of cash, obviously. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I have not fired it. I do want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's a little short compared to most most arrows, you know? It's mm-hmm. maybe uh, 15 inches long at the most. So I need a like a little small bow yeah. <laughs> in order to shoot it. Maybe that's next week's um, challenge. Indeed. Ranjit, I think you used the word fletching, which is a word I just learned I learned about. And that is the little feathering feathers at the end. Mm-hmm. Um and I did not so after looking at many YouTube videos, I discovered that the f- I knew the fletching, typically you sort of knock your arrow, which is sort of like taking the arrow and like putting it on the bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do it in such a way so the fletching, when the bow leaves, when the arrow leaves the bow, it doesn't rip off one of the feathers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I set up my fletching appropriately that way, but I didn't actually do it at 60 degree angles. I did it more like kind of airplane wings um, because the, in my case, I was so enamored with making the credit card pieces be the be the kind of feathers that I didn't want it to rip off one of the little plastic pieces when it leaves the bow. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure how it's going to fly, but I th- I think it I think it will mostly fly straight. You have to make concessions right. for beauty. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's an artwork after all. <laughs> I mean, certainly a a dollar could be made. Um, sort of hairy, like a uh, motorcyclist's um, leather jacket tassels. <laughs> so yeah, right. But uh, yeah, because yeah. I think part of the idea with their flexibility is so they can be compressed on their way through that system, right? Yeah, right, right. So it's is the core of the arrow that hollow plastic tube, or just I see the the feathers at the back are stuck on a what looks like a hollow plastic tube, but I can't yeah. tell if that extends to the entire length of the arrow. 
Mm-hmm. It does not. Yeah, the hollow plastic tube, I I wanted to be able to, um, you know, put a notch in the back end so you could, like, lock it. So you could knock it. Like, you could, like, set it into the string of the bow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just took... I had a dead marker. And so I just took the dead marker apart and cut off, which is about, like, the shape of a straw, like classic soda straw. Maybe mm-hmm. a McDonald's soda straw, which I last I remember was, like, slightly bigger than a regular straw. And... um use that piece so i could put the i was worried that like putting the feathers on the bow on the arrow on the dollar bills themselves would be like difficult you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i wanted like a hard piece on the back so the rest of it is just um i took four dollar bills and laid them out um like two by two and uh glued them onto a white piece of paper and then rolled up that sheet in order to make the the tube itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found out a lot about, there's this whole sort of paper tube making community. <laughs> Whoa. Of course there is. Yeah. Who, yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. On, on YouTube, they, they typically make kind of um, like flowers or something out of magazine pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I stole their thinking about how you would roll up a thing and then use like kind of white Elmer's glue to glue it up. And that works out super great. But there is a knitting needle that I used as the rolling device. And I forgot to take it out. <laughs> and it's it's kind of stuck in there. Um, Secondary armament. Yeah. yeah. So it, it makes it a little bit like lethal, which I kind of like. But I think even without it, it would be quite firm. You know, it's it's quite a bit smaller than the hole. So, but I can't bend the needle i am been the arrow, excuse me, at all. And I don't think I'm hitting the edges of the needle yet, you know, so I think it's pretty, it's pretty rigid. But I kind of wish the needle was out of it because it's heavy. But <laughs> Well, that means you've got uh, an artist's tool in the heart of your arrow in the heart of it's, capitalism. It's uh... true. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. I actually wanted to get critical here and say, I see how you engaged arrow and capitalism, but where does the heart come in? Yeah. See? The the meanness I, I, arrives. Yeah, I'm trying here to get is. some meanness here. <laughs> I mean it I mean I think we'll we'll end up talking about this a lot probably through all of our projects, mm-hmm. but I mean I did think for a long time about like how would to take like if you were like, okay, you've got two weeks to dismantle capitalism, how would you do it? Which is <laughs> yeah. maybe kind of the the project, you know. That would um, be pretty ambitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I a lot of things came up. It's like, oh, with that dismantle capitalism, and then the answer kept becoming no. And then I was just like, I think the I think capitalism, the heart of capitalism is people. But I don't, I don't know. I I also think maybe it's fear. I don't know. So there was a lot of things that kind of I couldn't resolve. But yeah. Whatever it is, the arrow is going to go through it. <laughs> yes. Could you argue that the heart of capitalism is valuing the currency without really caring about what the currency represents? Huh. Like the money itself having value separate from its ability to procure anything but money? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I like that the point of your arrow says rapid rewards on it. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Have you guys seen this archer, uh, what is it, Lars Anderson? He's this uh, dude who um, does all this trick uh, archery 
most of which involves him leaping around while he's shooting arrows. Um, I don't know if we're going to have enough time to watch it together, uh, but we should definitely link to it because it's um, it's both super impressive and completely hilarious that this is <laughs> what this guy focuses his uh, his considerable talents on. Yeah, my friend was raving about him. Partly oh yeah, because she's a big she's a big fan of Lord of the Rings movies, and sure. so it's very elf like to be able to do tricks with an arrow. Indeed, with oh, a bow yeah. and arrow. Mm-hmm. Which um which races did you guys relate to the most when you were reading in the Tolkien universe as as young people, assuming that you read those books as young people? I don't think there's any way not to not to relate to the hobbits because True. they're the point of view characters and they're the nicest. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And the coziest and the and the hungriest. <laughs> Rob, how about you? Same thing, or did you not get into those books when you were a kid? Here we go. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just about to expose. Oh a no! Hole I can already tell what you're gonna say. Just say it. <laughs> I have not read those books. Oh my god! Not even the <gasps> Hobbit. No. Oh, you gotta, you gotta read them to Z, man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. Oh, they're so yeah. satisfying, Rob. I would, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've wished I could just like bash my brain against a wall and forget those books and read them again for the first time uh <laughs> so good when were they written did anyone do you guys know i think world war ii era right ranjit am i getting that right that sounds about right i believe that I, the um the the fellowship of the ring i think was written in a serialized version for tolkien's son who was in the raf in world war ii uh, wow. But then also um, Tolkien and I think C.S. Lewis were contemporaries and maybe related to each other at Cambridge or something. And so they were kind of going back and forth and talking about their seminal works as they were getting made. Although I think, you know, Lewis was sort of a Jesus freak and then uh, Tolkien was a little more um, separate from that type of spirituality. But I have such a warped sense of time. Yeah, like I, I feel like they were written when Led Zeppelin was a band, which was in, <laughs> which was in the, <laughs> the 1100s or something. Yeah. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like this conversation is going to stack really richly. I propose that we check out Ranjit's thing so we can keep let's do it doubling back yep. on what's come before Ranjit. But uh, yeah, link us, man, link us. Yep, I'm gonna link you. Here you go. So, Rob, I'm going to press play and then pause it. I'm ready when you are. I am also ready. Okay, play it. Play. So I'm getting some nice split screen here with a sort of overhead Google Maps style map taking up two-thirds of the right-hand side of the screen, and then there's sort of a fast-mo, maybe cell phone, first-person perspective walking through Uh uh, the Wall Street area. Yep. Yep. Uh, It looks like this is New York, and for New Yorkers, it's Beaver Street, which looks like it's very intersects with Wall Street, and it looks like that's where the video is headed. We started from the New York Stock Exchange. 
and then walking down Exchange Place is the first ah, okay. street. Okay. And then the map itself is being filled in with red, almost like little footprints. Uh, yeah, it's, and a, it's a really great fill-in a gra- down the street. Graphical arrow is being constructed. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, should we watch it again, Taylor, so we can? Yeah, I think I did a lot of talking, so you go ahead and uh, you start. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, to what Taylor said before, there's a there's it's a split screen, and there's Google Maps ish thing on the right. And it starts at the New York Stock Exchange. Wow. So arrow arrow through the heart of capitalism. The arrow begins at the New York Stock Exchange and travels. I'm sorry, uh, Renji, what was the name of the road again? Exchange Place. Exchange Place, yeah. Okay. And goes, goes, goes. It's headed towards William Street. I did not know that beaver street was <laughs> so close to <laughs> what if we had to call it beaver street instead of wall street yes uh oh yeah wow yeah so he's taking advantage of the particular geography of how those streets are laid out where it's sort of rep you know kind of like the spokes of a wheel how the streets are coming together um which makes it sort of a natural uh at least you know everything seems obvious once you see it done <laughs> but it's it's not like um this is a sort of perversion of the streets that exist there it's just it's following a pre-existing path to get to that very apparent shape if that makes any sense yeah was it the zodiac killer who was it some some mass murderer i feel like made a smiley face or something on a map oh really I feel like that might have been a plot point in a comedy and not a real thing. Oh, oh Although, really? <laughs> I, because that sounds familiar, but I think I saw it on a TV show that was maybe even The Simpsons parodying the idea of detectives plotting out murders on a map. Uh, okay, who knows? Yeah. Maybe it was real. Maybe The Simpsons got it from an actual... The smiley face murder theory uh, brought up by two New York City detectives. Uh, let's see. Duh, 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 duh. Yeah, I think it's... I mean, I don't know that they necessarily caught anybody, and I'd have to look this up on Snopes. I mean, I'm just looking at Wikipedia, but I, I have read about this. I, I think they were proposing wow. that a bunch of deaths that, that did not appear to be related were related in that way. I would, yeah, is there a name for that? Like making making an image through the use of points on a map? It feels like there should be. There's seeing faces and things. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, is like a uh, paradoia oh, yeah. or paradoia or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. paradoia. Yeah. Oh, Wikipedia is my friend tonight. Oh, here I'll give you guys an actual reference. It says this one sounds kind of sciency. LiveScience.com. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I I'm really digging this little piece where uh, the arrow exists in this geographic location. And uh, Ranjit had to be there and do the thing or at least have somebody do it there. So I think that, like, it definitely, it checks all the boxes, but it's it doesn't, um, it's not maybe critical in the same way of Rob's project, which does not check all the boxes. How does that sound? Uh, I kind of agree. I had some of the same thoughts that Rob did Mm -hmm. considering what to do for this project. 
is there anything I can actually do in two weeks that would have any hope of actually impacting uh -huh. capitalism in any way whatsoever right. or even being critical at all? And it was hard to come up with anything. Yeah, yeah. But then I thought, okay, I do actually live yeah. near the heart of capitalism and I can at least go and take an arrow-shaped stroll right through the heart of capitalism. So did... um. I'm thinking about sort of the way arrows travel, you know, being fired, or they have that really linear uh, story to their action. And I'm curious, you know, as a person who makes artworks that are performative in nature and so forth, did your experience doing this, do you feel like that is part of the work, or is this is this entirely just about the idea of taking that walk and not your personal experience? Uh, I think the personal experience is definitely part of it. Mm -hmm. I I went and walked the the entire route once before I made the video just mm -hmm. to see what it was like. Yeah. And then I I chose my favorite starting point and did it again this time with the with the phone camera. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And I actually I felt tense the entire time because <laughs> you get a police get you. <laughs> exactly. It's a weird kind of a weird thing to be doing. Sure walking around holding a holding your phone up in front of your chest but there's a lot more weird things than that going on in new york <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah nobody noticed uh wow i like that there's definitely people like wall street looking people in the video for sure yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> there's some like pressed shirts <laughs> yeah i went oh. during rush hour oh, not rush hour i went during lunch hour Oh, yeah, awesome. So that the streets would be kind of crowded and I would actually get to see the Wall Street workers out. I've never I've never been to Wall Street. Um is it what's it like? It's it's kind of interesting in multiple different ways. Like one is there is this this pretty monumental architecture mixed in with crumbling old unremarkable buildings and shiny new towers and these sort of palaces of capitalism from the late 19th and early 20th centuries all crammed in together. And it's also one of the places in New York where the streets are really narrow because it's one of the earliest parts that was settled. Mm -hmm. So there's these tiny streets with huge towering gilded age, t gilded age buildings and skyscrapers towering over you. And then it's also always under construction, so half the streets are torn up. And so, you, especially at lunch hour, the people I saw were a mix of the very buttoned-down office workers and construction workers with their lunch boxes. Wow, that's so New York. I feel yes. like, and then also, is potentially the beaver here is just a holdover for when you could actually find beavers on that street, right? <laughs> that there was probably a beaver exchange, yeah, because it was exactly, such a huge right? business. Yeah, yep. in my research, and it was probably more important than stock at one time. Sure, I, I think at a certain point it was effectively currency, right? Pelts. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's interesting to see those things remain, if only in name. Also, oh, I have a confession great. about the production of this video. The map that you see, I heard one of you say something like it's kind of sort of a Google map. And the reason it's only kind of sort of a Google map is because it's a Yahoo map. <laughs> wow. I compared the Google, Yahoo, and Bing maps to see which one I like best. Yeah. And Yahoo was the best for having just the right amount of detail. Oh, I certainly oh, have, no, cool. I have no problem with that sourcing at all. I don't think that uh, requires a... Uh, 
a confession of any kind. <laughs> uh, I just think of Yahoo as kind of a a punchline oh, yes. these days. <laughs> well, it's I mean, it's still supposedly worth however many millions of dollars, right? Or has it yeah. just completely cratered at this point? I don't know, but I remember a few years ago before they got bought by whoever bought them, they were worth like, I don't know, $300 million dollars. And they owned a subsidiary that was a, a Chinese company that was worth $350 million. So the, the implication was that the Yahoo part was worth negative $50 million or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> also, I was curious how you uh, generated the little footsteps in the animation. Is that is that entirely um, uh, like an a- animated set of frames from Photoshop? Or what's the technical aspect there? Yeah, it was it was exactly an animated set of frames in Photoshop with me saying 300 times saying create new layer, (laughs) put a dot on the the layer and then create a new animation frame and then create new layer, (laughs) put another dot, add to animation. Yeah, it's great. It's really great. It really feels like walking in this great way. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I really crave, uh, I feel like, you know, in in the same way that we've been talking about doing many of something over and over again, I can I can anticipate richness layered on top of this in different circumstances and with different contexts and prompts and so forth. So yeah, I, I feel like it's just it's it's the beginning of an idea that could get as large as you wanted it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also there's a tradition of people using their GPS trackers to make pictures. Sure, people who they'll look for. Like in the streets of London, they'll find a place where they can make a beautiful outline of an elephant, and then they'll turn on their GPS and go for a jog in an elephant-shaped jog, and then they'll take a screenshot of their tracker and post it on a Tumblr or something. Yeah, that's really, that's cool. I th- yeah, it's I th- there's not a name for that. There, maybe there is, but... Probably geo-drawing or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yep, yep. I, I think there was there was a big marketing push with UPS or, or it was some kind of global shipping company where supposedly they, or maybe it was an artist. The story went that it was an artist who drew like a portrait, the world's largest portrait in the Atlantic Ocean, and it turned out just to be a um, a marketing scam. All right, where should we reveal our third project? Yes. Cool. Take a look at that zip. Tell me what you think, and then as you're as you're preparing this, the song that I want you playing in the back of your heads is "It's 3 A.M. Eternal Love," which apparently was on everyone's mind uh, to one extent or another. The KLF um, made a bunch of money, but also had these really big stage productions, and they decided that they were going to. Um, kind of plow all that money just back into big stage productions and at some point they wound up with a million pound surplus which they just burned and made an art video out of it oh yeah i've heard of that i'm seeing a defaced penny that's illegal you know and then making some sort of insulated chamber is this a bomb a bomb calorimeter very good (laughs) it's got because it's insulated it's got a thermostat on top yeah and then it looks like you burned a dollar bill or something. <laughs> Whoa. Wait, so... So so you measured wow. the calories in a dollar bill? Yeah. But that's not all. There's more. There's sanding the copper off a bunch of pennies. 
to reveal oh, what's yeah. inside a penny, not not copper, whatever's inside that's not a cop, not copper. Zinc. 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 Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Whoa. Well, you're making a battery out of copper, zinc, and and paper, mm-hmm. and the paper is made from dollar bills. Mm-hmm. Oh man, is that a volt? Like one point one volts, mm-hmm. roughly. Yeah. Look at that. One point one four three volts or something. For a very brief how second. Many, yeah. <laughs> yes. How many? How many pennies is that? It's five. So five, five, five sand or four sanded pennies and one intact penny. And then there's pieces of a dollar bill between each penny. Right, soaked in a um, solution of water, salt, and vinegar. Oh, awesome! So you have an electrolyte soaked dollar bill mm-hmm. and pennies, which are both copper and zinc. So you can do that two metal thing, maybe. I know. But I also see an LED sitting there forlornly in one of the pictures. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to guess you tried to light up an LED, but it didn't quite go. Yeah, you got it, man. <laughs> True indeed. Yeah, so, so I, when I was starting out, I was kind of on the same page, I think, as Rob, going pretty literal with the, um, you know, making an arrow. And there's actually a lot of people posting about penny arrows online. So oh. they talk about, you want to get... Penny is made uh, before 1982 because that's when they were all copper is pre-1982. So I just went through all my change and found stuff from that date. And then I was trying to imagine myself in a sort of, um, uh, you know, dystopian future where currency only has value (laughs) as material as opposed to, Uh um, you know, it's sort of uh, conceptual value. So the the copper ones, you know, could be more ma- easily made into arrowheads. And I was trying to just do all of the fabricating with a piece of concrete. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I will admit that I trimmed them with a tool, but then I just went outside and sharpened them on concrete by scraping it over and over and over again. Um, oh, cool. So I made... That works. Yeah, and, and I never got around to making a full arrow out of it because I wanted to try a bunch of ways of instrumentalizing money as material instead of concept. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was just trying to go through and see, so a dollar bill produces about 7.77 little C calories. Um, and then I figured out how many jewels that accounted for and, you know, trying to set equivalents. Like if I burn a dollar, you know, how much, uh, if I were to burn wood, you know, would it effectively be worth a thousand dollars because it would take that much, um, and that many dollars to produce a similar amount of energy to the wood and so forth. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. So can, so can you talk about the bomb calorimeter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like Ranjit's got a, got an angle on this too. Uh, Ranjit, what's your familiarity? Is this, you just remembering science class or have you used something like this more recently? I remember it, I think, from the Gastropod podcast. Do you know that one? No, no. It's a, a podcast all about food and food science and food culture. Yeah. And one episode was all about calories. Oh, wow, cool. And they, and that's how I learned about the bomb calorimeter, where you you burn a food item inside this insulated chamber and measure how much the temperature goes up. Mm-hmm. And that tells you something about how much inherent chemical energy was in the food. Yeah, yeah. So the as far as I can tell, calories are, you know, kind of like with the metric system where they're trying to establish units of measure based on essential physical properties of water and and so on. So, so in this case, you have a large can and uh, floating within it is a small can. Um, 
and then you put a specific amount, you know, a specific number of ounces of water in there, or grams of water. Ounces? I can't remember, but it, in any case, it's specific. And then I just have a dollar bill stuck on a nail down beneath and some air holes to keep um, to keep the burn going. And then you, you light the thing and try to trap as much of that heat as you can and and place its energy into the water and then map um, how much it's uh, it's changed. So, yeah. So how many calories did you say are in a dollar bill? So, so there's large uh, C calories and small C. I think the large C ones are food calories specifically, um, mm-hmm. which are just um, a fat, a, something like 100 times small C calories for whatever reason. They represent as that, that is large and small as opposed to like kilocalories or whatever. But the, um, uh, I think it's 7.7777, at least to the extent of my uh, measuring capability. Yeah. Uh, cool. Oh. So about 0. 0.008 of a food calorie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe 0. 0.08. I'm not sure how many O's. Yeah, but not a lot in any case. <laughs> so you'd have to eat a oh, lot really? of dollar bills yeah, to, right. <laughs> to survive in this yeah. apocalyptic wasteland where you have nothing but yeah. bales and bales of cash. Well, So if you ate, let's see, one, about $20, that would be about a Tic Tac? Well, depending if it was singles, <laughs> right? Because a $20 ah, bill right. is, yeah. yeah. So this means in, in this <laughs> potential future... Dollar bills are more valuable than twenty dollar bills, uh, or the or the exact same value. The same value, but if you can trick another survivor into <laughs> giving you change for a twenty, <laughs> then suddenly you have twenty times as much food as they do. Yeah, it's like yes. how uh, Ray Charles always demanded he be paid in singles. So, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, according to the that's, movie, but just because yeah, because awesome. he didn't want to get cheated. Um. So so when I had initially, the other one that I thought of but did not do, which I just thought was funny, was I was trying to imagine like a, do you guys remember there was that Monty Python short where uh, there were office workers that were dressed like pirates and then their um, office buildings were attacking one another? Yeah. Um, so the um, one of the things that made it so great, I, I'm assuming it was really Terry Gilliam inflected, but they were finding elements around the office that... Um, when they put them in the right context that you say, Oh, of course that would be what a pirate would do with that thing. So they were, they were breaking the, um, uh, taking the fan blades off and then using them as scimitars and so forth. Um, so similarly, I was imagining this sort of post-apocalyptic office worker with, you know, a shredded business suit who had constructed a blowgun, um, where the blowgun dart was made up of a rolled up bill because blowgun darts often have that sort of conical, uh, back on them and then you would take some sort of like a crushed up prescription medicine <laughs> to make <laughs> like a poison dart uh to uh knock a uh like little mutant squirrels or something out of the tree um so so that one did not get made but that was kind of the image i had in my mind so i was just trying to roll through all these examples of how to convert currency um back into real value and then in the process, I was also reading a bunch more about cryptocurrency because I was also looking at making like just an, an opposable thumbs cryptocurrency just for fun. Uh, more complicated <laughs> than I think I was, I was capable of. But I, I read this great discussion about why cryptocurrency has value and the way that I understood it. And I'm curious to see if when I say it out loud, you guys buy it or not or just to see what you think about it. But so that's always one of the things that blows your mind, right? About something like Bitcoin, where someone just has this idea, and then now 
10 or 15 years later, whatever it is, the Bitcoins are so incredibly expensive and there's stories about, you know, oh, I threw away a hard drive 15 years ago that would have had, you know, $500 million on it or whatever. Um, So, so the way that I I heard it, I I read it in this one article was that, so there's these three stages where all currency starts out initially. So initially you're just bartering, right? So it would be like, um, I grow apples and Ranjit grows pears and I say, hey, I'll give you these three apples and you'll give me three pears. And because he wants apples and I want pears, everybody's happy, right? But then mm-hmm. the intermediary stage that I was always missing was that at some point, for example, maybe Rob grows grapes and I really don't care about grapes, but I know Ranjit really cares about grapes. So I would barter my apples for Rob's grapes not caring at all about the grapes because to me they're just a representation of future pears. I forget. I forget what Ranjit's growing in my own example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've lost track too. <laughs> but but does that make sense? Like you start you start with bartering, but then at some point you're bartering for an object you don't actually want, and therefore the object ceases its value ceases to come from its primary existence as a fruit. And it's just a representation of some other thing that you want, which could be like furniture or a back rub or whatever, right? And so so that was the mm-hmm. thing that really got me interested, like that sort of magic trick when you, once you go a step away from the reality of the objects that are representing value, then why can't it just be a piece of paper? Um, the other thing that laid on top of this that was really cool is that... Um, you know, currency often also, as it was described in this article, is separated from, um, what was it? I think I'm going to do a bad job at this, but it's like you have money and everyone agrees on its value, but then a service you still require is the transfer of that money across a distance. And that's why credit card companies can exist. And so with Bitcoin, it never existed as an actual thing you could put your hand on, but it wrapped in the value of the ability to transfer the money across a distance. So it was able to sort of um, combine two services together that hadn't been together before, right? So both the existence of the currency and its ability to travel, which we didn't have in the past. Uh But I don't know. Like, am I understanding this right? Are you guys buying this or do you think it's all a load of hooey? I don't really understand this stuff all that well, but it seems reasonable to me that Uh the exchange gets more and more abstract. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Do y'all, do y'all, are y'all familiar with that concept of time banking? Jen reminded me of time banking when I was kind of working through some ideas for this episode and um, a time bank, there's a, there's a, uh, I think it's called the Echo Park time bank here in Los Angeles, but essentially time banking is based on this idea of time as a currency and so um let's say you're a dentist right and you you need dog walking services and so you say like hey i'll clean your teeth which takes let's say an hour or two or whatever two hours um and for anybody who needs their teeth cleaned it's you know two two hours of the time bank time and so um you if you have that 2 hours of time bank time you can cash those in for teeth cleaning services mm-hmm. and then the dentist has 2 hours of time bank time and if they need you know their 
cat fed while they're out of town. And that takes, say there's four days of 30 minutes each, they can cash in, quote unquote, those two hours of time bank time for cat feeding services while they're away on vacation. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty interesting model in that like, you're not burdened with sort of always having to join a need with a with a solution you know like you can sort of bank your your contributions to the time bank and sort of have credit for lack of a better term mm. um and then spend that credit on whatever you might term. yeah i guess so yeah spend that cre- credit is such a weird word now because it's you know it's like it's so connected to the card and interest and stuff but like um but yeah that's exactly what it is yeah it's credit and mm-hmm. and you it flattens out everybody's contribution to society in a way that right. still gets your needs met you know it's like the person who is a gardener for two hours has the same amount of value to the world as a dentist mm-hmm. or or whatever but then we all can sort of still get what we want through the time bank by trading hours essentially it's a pretty interesting concept um i only know it through this neighborhood in los angeles called echo park and i think i've been to the echo park i'm sure it's like a family of time banks maybe across the world or whatever but it's a pretty interesting concept um i've never done it because i think it's like anything like that you kind of have to like I felt like, oh, if I had a friend who did it, then they could kind of introduce me to it, and I could kind of get started. There's some like starting friction, right? That you just gotta do it, man. Overcome. Just but, do yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, what, what, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. What would you? What kind of time would you add? Um, that's a good question. I well, like I could be like, oh, I'll I'll repair your, uh, I'll repair your malwared up laptop let's say and that took <laughs> let's say that took two hours then sure. i could get my teeth cleaned in exchange for that which for me feels like a totally great trade mm-hmm. you know and maybe also feels like a totally great trade for someone else i don't know it's an interesting it's an interesting idea yeah um, and i and and for me like that abstraction if if you can get your head around a cryptocurrency and decide if the world can sort of understand like that the malleability and weirdness of credit and money why not why not apply that to other things like that has a little bit more uh equity kind of built into the system mm-hmm. you know do y'all know that the um this was kind of big in the 80s and 90s the the church of the subgenius oh yeah dude yeah i used like, to be into that yeah slack was kind of there mm-hmm it was a kind of anti-capitalist thing as, or how I thought of it kind of in a way that like yeah. by doing nothing, you're, you become exalted kind of. Uh-huh. I guess I, I never read like it that, carefully that is enough. A, it's a microaggression against capitalism, yeah. I think. Yes. In a, in a certain kind of way. I mean, in a way like Facebook kind of monetized that concept, right? Like, Oh, at the wazoo. Yeah. Beyond yeah, monetizing, is, it's, it affects everything. <laughs> which is what capitalism is really good at. It's like, but yeah, I, I was looking, I have the, the, um, it might be, I guess they published their own, that book, the subgenius book. It's still today. Like I think a totally amazing artwork. Like it just looks yeah. so cool. And I was like very cut up looking and stuff. I'm not sure when it came out, but it's really quite, 
it's really quite something. Um, I wonder if Ivan Stang, that was the guy who I think of as who started it. I don't know if he was their, their mouthpiece anyway. I, I have no idea what that person's doing now. I should look him up. He's probably like running a startup or something. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I actually went to a live subgenius performance in San Francisco in the whoa, 80s. Oh, whoa. You're probably in like a VHS video somewhere that's on sale or something. <laughs> probably. Wow. How was it? I barely remember. Uh, I think yeah. I probably enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't remember complaining about it. <laughs> oh, because you grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Was it? Was that like a, a thing? Like the Church of Subgenius in the Bay Area at that time? Like, was it like a visible presence or was it just... I don't think so. It was to? more... I probably found out about it through Fat Sheet 5 or one of those yep. zine compilation kind of things. Yep. And I, I literally... You'd see the little listing in the zine and you'd send them a dollar and uh, your address and they would send you some cool pamphlets with neat clip art and weird yeah. rants and stuff yeah because i think like bob dobbs is this this sort of um 1950s looking person with a pipe who i think of as a kind of proto kind of andre the giant has a posse now kind of thing like yep totally like if you saw the image yeah. you knew what it meant but the rest of the world if you weren't in on it, like no one, you would just be like, hmm, I don't know what that is. Like, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, it looks like they're doing um, a podcast, uh, The Hour of Slack, number 1,642. <laughs> oh, my Whoa, God. Uh, and you can also oh, get yeah, it left... by mail on a CD. Wow. That's old fashioned. No That's great. I actually, back in the day, I used to listen to this weekly radio program on KPFA in the Bay Area which was this sort of sound collage thing that went all night long. And there was some overlap with uh, subgenius people in producing that over and them and with uh, negative land. Yep. Wow. Oh, that, that seems like, and I think yeah. in some form it's still going on. That might be what this hour of slack is. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh man, you guys are really taking me down the rabbit hole right now. Negative land Sorry. did the whole <laughs> Casey Kasem thing, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you too. Uh, yep. yep. I've got a book coming out, which is made up entirely of other people's words. So Nice. What is it? Let's plug it. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, do you know my project Pentamatron? Mm-hmm. It's a, a Twitter bot that's been running now for about five and, five and a half years, mm-hmm. which it just searches Twitter in real time for people who post tweets that are accidentally in iambic pentameter <laughs> and it collects those and when it finds two that rhyme it posts them as a rhymed couplet oh i love it so now for five and a half years it's collected hundreds of thousands of lines of pentameter so how, how do you have it um algorithmically determine when it's an accidental thing or is it just so uncommon vanishingly uncommon that somebody would do that on purpose it's the latter it it can't tell the difference between deliberate mm-hmm. pentameter and accidental. And that means it does pick up sometimes when people are quoting Shakespeare or Milton or something. Right, right. Oh, uh-huh. And so the book is part of a series of various computer-assisted poetry and literature that Counterpath Press is putting out. Yeah. Oh, cool. And so for this one, it's just a whole bunch of basically sonnets assembled from Twitter text. And it's kind of fun because you've got people's mundane talking about their birthdays or what they had for breakfast mixed in with 
actual bits of Paradise Lost and Shakespeare that accidentally got mixed in. Yeah. No, it's it's so fun to make work where you you set something loose, and then and that's a long time to have been doing a Twitter. How long has Twitter even been around for? I feel like you must have got in early on that one. I've been pretty early, but Twitter is more than ten years ten old. Years. Wow, no yeah. kidding, man. Yeah. I guess I just never probably more, never really bothered to engage with it. Yeah. That's cool that Counterpath's putting out your book there. I I like Tim and Julie a lot. They're from their work. Their their press is great. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know much about them until I was invited to the series by Nick Montfort, who's editing the series. He's a, oh, okay. a poet and technologist who makes really cool algorithmic art and poetry and stuff. Oh, that's cool. I don't, I don't know his work. I should check it out. Yeah. So, so Rob, I'm, I'm eager to hear what our next challenge yes. is. Rajit, are it's you time. ready? I'm ready. To, to bestow it upon I us. I think. Yeah. And... This is actually inspired by one of the things from the Stuff You Like section of the podcast. I just read a couple of novels by Malka Older called Infomocracy and Null States. And they're kind of hard to describe. They're this sort of science fiction, near-future science fiction. It's kind of like action bureaucracy. Nice. Whoa. Like Brazil. Uh Uh-huh. Though more, kind of more in the utopian direction instead of the dystopian direction. Wow, there's a possible, sort it's of. possible to make utopian action. Wow, okay. Yeah, I got to check this out. Utopian nice. action bureaucracy. Yeah, they're actually, <laughs> they're very entertaining books yeah. about uh, a future when most of the world's nations have, their governments have kind of collapsed through disorder and yeah. economic problems and stuff. And most of the world has agreed to try out micro-democracy mm-hmm. where basically they divide the world into groups of 100,000 people and every group of 100,000 people can can vote for what government they want separately. Mm-hmm. And so there are like hundreds of competing governments and they all advertise on the the future internet which is called information. And people can choose what which of the various governments of the world they want to be represented by. Mm-hmm. And so like the most popular governments will have millions or hundreds of millions of people and then there'll be little governments that might have only two or three of these these groups mm-hmm. and only represent a few hundred thousand people but it's all run by the whole system is run by information which is this oh. secretive and super powerful bureaucracy which is kind of halfway between the united nations and google awesome <laughs> and they have spies and ninjas working for them and <laughs> naturally and they have flying cars and it's just, it's very entertaining and not quite plausible, but almost. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the theme for next time is micro-democracy. Oh. All right. We're taking a, po- awesome. we're taking a political turn up in here. I yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. Okay. Who, who was the, um, the author again? Just, just so I have it in my head. The author is Melka Older, and I'm going to paste her website so that you can Great. put it in links if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. We'll do. Yeah. Micro Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. Hmm. Hmm. All right. This is good because I'm trying to build out my female science fiction writer list. I'm just about to start um, a book called Autonomous by Annalie Newitz. I don't know if anyone... 
Hmm. Oh yeah, let's check uh, that out. I've heard of it, haven't read it yet. I, yeah, so I got a, I read a sample chapter, and then I was just waiting and waiting until the. Uh, I still couldn't bring myself to buy a hardback on the day of release, but that's just the, cheap, yeah. uh-huh. the cheapskate in me. Um, but yeah, now I've got it, so I'll, I'll report back. But uh, excellent. Yeah, I don't know, Ranjit, yeah. if you heard our previous guest, Hung Nuo, but she um, made a little uh, bit of code that's up on GitHub for preventing us from having an excuse of saying, I don't know any female artists of color, for example. And I feel like you could do one of those for science fiction authors and on and on and on. <laughs> yeah, I could totally recommend you more because Ooh. actually I try to read mostly fiction by women when I read fiction. Yeah, that's cool. And I've collected yeah. a bunch of. I love sci-fi, so I got a whole bunch of stuff that I read lately. Hey, man, if oh, you want, man. if you, uh, Ranjit, do you have anything else? Uh, you you just shared a thing that you're into, which is super cool. Did you have anything else that you wanted to share? I do have some more things. Cool. One thing is, it being Halloween season, it's time for me to start nonstop playing of the song "Skeletons" by the long defunct band Inflatable Boy Clams. Oh, I don't know this song. Which me neither. Yeah, Inflatable Boy Clams, they existed for only a few years, I think in the Bay Area, and they recorded their one little EP with five songs, and all the songs are bizarre and and fun. And Skeletons is all about skeletons. And you should probably edit it into the podcast for uh, the... Yeah. It is on YouTube, I'm happy to say. It is on YouTube, I've sent a link, yeah. I will definitely edit it into the podcast. Awesome. And then another thing another musical thing sort of that i really love is the i think it was the european space agency they landed a probe called huygens on the moon titan back in 2005 and there's this incredible incredible video of them basically taking the data transmitted back from this space probe and turning it into graphics and sound Mm-hmm. Oh. And I just posted a link of that, and the soundtrack of this this landing of the space probe is really incredible. Ooh. And I really want to convince some of my choreographer friends to create a dance to this music. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the visualization right. is really nice. The visualization is nice, but for me, it's the sound that's really because it's so weird and like nothing you've ever heard, mm-hmm. and it all has scientific meaning too. Sure. Oh, I see. H-U-Y-G-E-N-S. Is that right? Yeah. Huygens. Awesome. And I put, I pasted a link to the video. Huygens. Oh, cool. Huygens. Huygens. Cool. Uh, Taylor, do you have anything to share? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting to work with um, uh, this little Arduino compatible board, the, uh, the ESP. Wait, let me make sure I get this right. Uh, the ESP8266. So uh, the specific one I'm using, using is called Node MCU, and it's like a little Arduino board plus an integrated Wi-Fi module. Oh, and so I might cool. have an upcoming project that uh, is yet to be fully fleshed out. But it's um, it seems like a really accessible platform, and I think I got mine on Amazon for like eight bucks, uh, eight or nine bucks Whoa. shipped. Yeah, yeah, and so um. They're a little funky. Man, I've been having so much trouble with this. I got a new laptop through my uh, school. And um, so there's it's all USB-C ports and just all sort of funkiness. So I really had to wrestle with this thing for a day to get it up and running. 
and talking to the Arduino IDE. I think usually you program in Lua. Is that a language uh-huh. I'm unfamiliar with? But um, it is. Yeah. So I mean, I've done some work in this area, and and Ranjit, maybe you're familiar too. But like um, with the the SIM card chips, where you'd uh, have to do like a what are they called A commands or something? Where it's like oh the AT yeah, commands, AT the commands old-fashioned... where you're basically using a language that was made in like 1972 or, <laughs> or whatever it was um, for the functionality at that point. But um, I feel like these little dudes have a lot of potential, and so as yeah. as a project develops um, along those lines, I'll I'll drop some more hints about it. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm digging right now. That's cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. I have a couple things. Um, mm-hmm. I saw, I forget how I got to this, but I ended up watching a really cool video uh, by this guitar repair person named Mark Erlewine, who did a two part video on repairing Willie Nelson's guitar. Um, Willie Nelson's guitar is named Trigger, and he's, he's <laughs> it's, I think it's the only guitar he's played, or nearly about it, for like nearly his entire career. Um, yeah. and so he goes wow. and it has a giant hole in it, uh, that because Willie Nelson has like a very particular kind of scraping picking style that just like tears chunks out of the guitar. Mm-hmm. And so he highlights a number of really super interesting repairs that he does. And, um, also the sort of technical aspects of the guitar. It's a kind of Franken guitar. It's a, it's a pickup from another guitar that was called a Baldwin Prismatone. That's like a kind of a transducer instead of a classic like the strings, the bridge of the guitar is actually the pickup. So the strings rest exactly right onto the transducer, which allowed Willie Nelson to play sort of amplified and sort of in this kind of rock and roll concert style that was very hard to do up until that time. But anyway, he, um, Mark Erlewine shows these really cool tools and stuff that he uses to fix guitars. And like one of them, for instance, is a level that has gaps in it and so the gaps are where the guitar frets go so you can check (laughs) you can check the level of the neck without touching the frets so if the frets are aren't level it doesn't matter you can actually just check the level of the guitar neck itself which i thought was pretty amazing that's great and he has a bunch of other cool glues and stuff that he talks about um ganzier is um a person who i know through the internet but not super well uh, and sadly, he used to live in L.A. and moved to Colorado. But um, he made a project, has a project that's really um, in the realm of, of Arrow Through the Heart of Capitalism in this great way. He did a, um, a letterpress, a letterpress set of, of reimagined dollar, U.S. dollar bills. And the project's called Honest Money. And instead of, like, Washington, Jefferson, whoever, each bill has, like, a kind of what he calls an... It's, great phrase a dark milestone in u.s history (laughs) so and they're really beautiful and amazing if you go to uh ganzer g-a-n-z-e-e-r or if you look up honest money by ganzer you'll see the photos of them and they're awesome and you can you can buy them from his website and they're totally great um and uh that that his project definitely popped right in my head when i was thinking of this uh, arrow through the heart of capitalism project and then a shout out to, yeah two quick things a shout out to donald bell at maker project lab um he featured us the opposable thumbs podcast on our somewhat recent episode so i just wanted to say thanks for giving us a shout out uh major maker project lab is kind of now affiliated with cool tools which maybe a lot of people know mm-hmm. um kevin kelly but yeah he, he 
the Maker Project Lab videos are short, like cool kind of highlighting projects and tools and stuff. And there's a really great project in the most recent video where a person took a fidget spinner and made a spirograph out of it. <laughs> and so you can, and he made this really cool jig that allows you to take post-it notes and cut them into circles, which is also really cool. So anyway, definitely worth checking out Maker Project Lab. And the last thing, which um, Ranjit mentioned, was Gastropod Podcast is really cool. And so I thought I'd just give them a shout out. It's um, Nicola Twilley and Cynthia Graber. And I haven't listened to the episode you mentioned, Ranjit, but I've, I've heard a couple others in there. They're all really good. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Oh, and you're mentioning, was it Ganzir, the printmaker? Yeah. That reminded me of a cool thing I saw recently, I think through Metafilter, a project called Raub Jukerin. Oh. And it's a... It's a woman, I think, in Germany who she makes prints by inking up manhole covers oh, yeah. and various bits of infrastructure. And then she presses tote bags and T-shirts and stuff onto Whoa. these things. Yeah, that's that, good. And she's doing it live just out in the street. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's a great that's project. Really it's one of those that's just so simple. You just, you're just you just mad at yourself for not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So good. That's really great. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was digging that one. Wow, thanks. Great list, you guys. Those are those are really good. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I got a couple wrap up items. Yep. Uh, and we'll close it out. Uh, you can find photos of our finished projects at our project site called projects.opposablepodcast.com. We also have we'll have tons of links in this episode show notes. Uh, so definitely check those out. There's lots of good stuff there for you to look at. Um, you and let's see. Oh. Uh, if you want an opposable thumb sticker, we will send you one. Just uh, send us your mailing address and let us know you shared an episode, and we'll throw you a sticker in the mail. We have sent our first international sticker to New Zealand. Um, nice. So hopefully, hopefully, it probably cool. hasn't made it yet, but it's on its way, so that's good. Um, now you really have to read Lord of the Rings, Rob. Uh, shout out to Wolf Mask, who created our logo. Uh, also, a big shout out to Nick, our top Patreon supporter. Thank you, Nick. If you'd like to join Nick in the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs and sponsor us. Anything you can donate really helps. Oh, can I shout out to the your intro music, which I love, and I don't remember if you said who it is. Oh, yeah. I'm I the illustrious Rev Ray. <laughs> oh, you made it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. awesome. I love how it, it's got the beat, and then it's got that one, oh. Yep, and then <laughs> yeah. there was a lot of discussion about that stab, Ranjit. <laughs> there was. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I really, I spent a lot of for. I think it's ten seconds of music, and I spent too long on ten seconds of music. But I was just like, I want it to be like funky, but not like. There's a lot of podcasts, right, where you can kind of tell that they went to some sort of free music website and like found a file. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And I was just like, I can't go out like that. Like I got, like <laughs> I got to put something into this, you know, to like make it cool. And I didn't want it to sound. I think people would expect the music for the podcast maybe to sound kind of futury or something. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, no, I don't want to do that. And I was like, oh, what if, what if we get kind of dusty? And so I sent Taylor what, like six, maybe. Yeah, you things? you had a bunch. I mean, I just had the the advantage of just sitting back and having opinions, but. And I think I tried to push you in more of like a 10 years ago hip hop direction. And you said no. And you held the line. And, and I think <laughs> I think made the right choice. It's got a little, it's got a little offbeat in it, right? Yep. Um, 
like the accents are in weird places and i yeah i don't know why i got attached to that but i was just like i feel like i think because i was so freaked out about people thinking it was a sample or something from somewhere yeah i wanted it to be like torn up enough that like you'd be like what is that you know i don't know so yeah so anyway thanks man that's cool (laughs) yeah i really like it yeah thanks uh that's the longest chunk i have of it but uh maybe we could like do the thing of like youtube we could just make a loop of it for like an hour 24 hours yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh oh code of conduct um our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment free experience for everyone regardless of race gender age sexual orientation disability physical appearance body size knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof uh, we actively support an inclusive environment and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Uh, shout out to Central for sending us a thank you message. Um, I think he found out about the podcast through a back and forth Twitter conversation I had with someone and he tuned in and sent us a message just saying thanks for doing it. And it was, so it was really great to get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and thanks to you, whoever you are, for listening to Opposable Thumbs. Let us know uh, what you think and we're psyched to have you on board. Uh, also let us know what you're making a couple people have sent us photos and stuff of just the stuff that they're making and they're super cool so definitely send us that stuff we'd love to see it uh ranjit thank you yeah for sure thank you so much do you have any like events or upcoming stuff or activities websites that people should know about oh i guess i do yeah well i have my personal website which is the kind of thing where i only remember to update it once a year, so it's way out of date, but that's moonmilk.com. Yeah, it's a great site. And I used to be very active on Twitter, but something about the last, say, since February or so has made Twitter a lot less appealing to me, but my yeah. Twitter account is Ranjit, R-A-N-J-I-T. And these days I post a lot on Instagram, mostly pictures of my dog interspersed with whatever art projects and stuff I'm working on. And that's my username on Instagram is fuzzball with one Z and one L, F-U-Z-B-A-L. It is a very rewarding Instagram to follow because it is imbued with the cuteness. <laughs> yes, and I do have some things coming up if I could plug Please. them. Yeah, plug away. There's, yeah. I've got a piece in a show opening. Well, from for now it's opening tomorrow, but by the time this is published, it's opened a few days ago. <laughs> at the, the Anyway, at the Center for Book Arts, there's a a show curated by artist John Roach called Internal Machine, which is all these different sculptures and interactive pieces related to books. And I've got a piece in that. And on the 14th, I'm speaking at the Monthly Music Hackathon at in New York about the Instrument Today project. Oh, cool. So if you happen to be around, there's that. I'm performing at Harvest Works the week after that. And then there's the Pentametron book coming out. And then maybe I can relax for a while. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Where is the Center for Book Arts? Is that in New York or is that somewhere yeah. else? Oh, yeah. It's in, in New York, in Manhattan. Oh, cool. Is there a date for that show or is it? Uh... Yeah, it opens, well, opens on Friday, the whatever tomorrow is, opens on Friday the, seventh, the 6th and it's going to be open for, I don't even know how long, a month or two. Oh, awesome. That's cool. New York people, go check it out. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Rob? Anything going on with you coming up? I have some micro-democracy to create. Yep. Yeah, you and yeah, me you better. better. <laughs> <laughs>
It's a it's great to yeah. see someone actually um go walk around. I think all of my projects for the most part have been accomplished on my back porch. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like the first tool I go to is my laptop. And I feel yep. like it's nice to see. Gotta stuff. avoid that. 